Good morning. It's great to see all you here today. Um, I was a young man, about uh, 24 years of age, uh, living in Pella, Iowa, going to a church that was going through a lot of struggles. And uh, myself and a couple of buddies of mine prayed through the night multiple times for God to do a move in our midst and to uh, do something in this generation and, and to take and save people. And, and nothing happened. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. And years later, I came and moved to Brookings, South Dakota, uh, found at the time Brookings Wesleyan Church and landed there, and then felt God called me into ministry. And uh, long story short, here I am today, right? And it wasn't about, uh, I want to say about six years ago, that I was uh, praying and talking to God one day, and he reminded me of those prayers when I was a young man. And he said to me, those prayers didn't go unanswered. The very thing you've been praying for back in your young days is happening right now. Do you see it? And I thought, man, God, you're great. You're so faithful. Amen? Just look around a minute. Take a, take a moment and look around. This is Grace Point Wesleyan Church. Who would have thought? I never would have dreamed in my wildest imagination that something like this would happen. God, it's been so good and faithful to us as, as, as people here in this community. I just want you to just kind of soak the moment in. It's good to get together. We, I have a large family now. I have six kids, 13 grandkids. Every now and then we get together and get what? It's just chaos. Noise. Oh, my goodness. And I thank God for every single person in my family. And I thank God for every single one of you. Amen. God, so good. Each one of you has a story. So I want to ask you a question today. Are you an intentional person? Do you do your life on purpose? I think there are some very important things for us as followers of Jesus to understand. First of all, we're called to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? We're called to love other people. Those two things are primary. But rated in my top 10 things of importance, I would say intentionality falls in there. We're to do our lives very, very much on purpose. 2018 has been a year of intentionality for Grace Point. We begin the year with this series entitled Intentional Life. We want to do our life on purpose. And what that series is all about was understanding that you are responsible for your spiritual formation. Well, at the same time we're doing the Intentional Life, we did a, a little seminar series called Intentional Discipleship, how to become very intentional as, as the people of God and how we are discipled. And the year has continued with this intentionality theme. The Here to There series is all about understanding this. We're supposed to look like Jesus Christ. What does that mean? How do we get there? This last little series we did from 1 Peter was on the good life, but again, it's on intentionality. Guess what we're going to talk about today? Intentionality. We're still on that topic. It's still 2018. And this morning we're going to talk about becoming intentional worshipers of God. And I'm excited to push into this important topic matter this fall. There's been an unfortunate misunderstanding, I think, in church circles. We think worship is singing, what we just experienced. Wasn't that good? It was good. Amen. You could clap. It's okay. It was really good. I praise God 
for Pastor Kyle. I praise God for Pastor Gina. I praise God for the giftedness of all these ones that are up here and their ability to lead us into that moment of connection with God and song. Song's a great methodology to connect with God in worship, but it isn't what defines worship. Worship is much greater than that. Worship should be a way of life for the Christ follower. Worship is not something you do on Sunday morning. It's how you decide to live your life as a follower of God. It's been said that Christianity is a transformation of rebels into worshipers. If that be the case, and I think it is, it is very important for you and I to understand what does it mean to become a worshiper. Super simple definition of a worshiper is this. Show reverence and adoration. That's just a dictionary definition. Our worship that we're called to as Christ followers is much deeper than that. It involves a heart attitude manifested in a lifestyle. So biblical worship takes place in the heart and the lifestyle of the follower of God. Jesus frequently got after the heart when he talked to people in his time. He's talking with a woman at the well. And she's talking about, well, you Jews worship God here. We Sumerians worship God here. And Jesus said, stop. Worship isn't about a place. It isn't about an activity necessarily. He says, all true worshipers must worship God in spirit and in truth. So first of all, worship, if we're going to become worshipers of God, something has to transpire in our hearts where we begin to understand how important it is to have a right heart before our God. Amen? And we have to understand that God doesn't care about abilities and all that kind of stuff. He cares about capturing our hearts so that we're authentic before Him and transparent before Him, unfeigned before Him, and we come to Him with a humble and sincere heart seeking to be in fellowship with Him. Worship begins deep in our hearts, and it has to be an attitude of our hearts that prevails all the time. But in addition to worshiping in spirit, the Lord Jesus says, we got to worship in truth. We got to come to God in the revealed way He has made Himself known. We have to come to Him through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to come to Him through the prescribed ways of Scripture. David, uh, King David, got this truth so very well. He wrote this Teach me your ways, O Lord. Give me an undivided heart, and I'll walk in your truth that I may fear, worship your name. So we've got to understand that, that worship internal, internally involves the heart, but it also involves embracing the, the truth of Scripture and beginning to understand, I come to God through Jesus Christ. I come to God in the prescribed way of, of Scripture. And when you combine a heart given over to God and you, com- and you put that with one who embraces truth, you're beginning to get what it means to be an intentional worshiper of the Lord. But worship is also a lifestyle. It's a way of doing life. An article in Christianity Today said it this way. True worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle. How you do your activities matter. I wish I would have knew this as a young guy. I, I played basketball, and I was anything but a good witness. Some of you know what I mean, amen? Competitiveness takes over, and you're not a very good witness. And I, I really begin to realize how utterly important it is that I do my life in a way that's reflective of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, I'm going to ask you a question. What do these things all have in common? Here's the football. Don't answer the question yet because you don't know the answer. So what, what does football have in common? Here you go. Someone catch it. 
that's youth football. You want to give it back to them. So what does football have in common with, say, an academic endeavor? This is my old engineering reference book. It's called Mechanical Engineering Reference Manual. Doesn't it look pretty? Yeah, that's about all it looks. Anyway, uh, years ago, my wife said, it's time to clean up your old books and get rid of them. You're never going to use these old mechanical engineering books. And I just couldn't part with this book. Look how pretty it is. So it sits there on my bottom shelf in my library, in my office, with, along with a lot of theological references. And every now and then I look at that book and I say, you're so pretty. So what does football have to do with this? What does football have to do with mechanical engineering? Have to do with grilling. Yay. I grilled hamburgers last night for Lydia. I don't eat them. I ate a Boca burger. Don't condemn me. That's just where my life is right now. So I, what does... So what does grilling have to do with engineering, have to do with football, and what does that have to do with carpentry or fixing something? Yesterday I fixed the sprinkler system in my yard. I finally said, enough is enough. I'm tired of wasting water. I'm going to fix this thing. And eight hours later thinking, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You know, I should read the instructions. I begin to read the instructions. Oh, that's how you adjust that sprinkler head. It's not that hard when you read the instructions. I'm male. Amen. All right. Anyway, so what do those four things have to do with each other? They're all opportunities to live out loud for Jesus Christ in the way we do them. How we approach our life matters tremendously. We have to become people who not only have a heart for Jesus, not only embrace the truth of his prescribed ways, but we also live a life that's reflective of Christ's control. Any of you remember Eric Little? Surely you know Eric Little. He's that Chariots of Fire dude, the star of that, that, that movie. Um, anyway, he was a runner, but he was also a missionary to China. And his sister, Jenny, was frustrated that Eric was running all the time when she thought he should be about the mission work that they were called to as a family to China. And, and, and Little at one point said to his sisters, I believe God made me for a purpose. He, he, he made me to do this China missionary work. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That, my friends, is a statement of worship. Now, for some of us, if we go running, we do anything but worship, Amen. But for Eric Little, running was a way of connecting with God, of having a lifestyle that was being lived for God's glory. I think when we give our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ and we really live out loud for him and embrace a lifestyle that brings him honor, we too are going to have those kind of Eric Little moments where we just feel the pleasure and the presence of our God in such a powerful way in our lives. See, people are created to worship. And if you're not intentionally worshiping God, you will worship something. You're going to worship something like work or sports or sports figure. You might worship recreation. You could worship your spouse or a child or celebrity or nature or academics. So we have to become very intentional about worshiping the Lord. On purpose, we have to set our hearts on him, and we have to embrace the truth. There has to be this internal worship happening. On purpose, we have to embrace a lifestyle that shows Jesus that we have reverence towards him and we adore him. We have to have that kind of a lifestyle. As, a, as a worshipers, there's not a division between 
what's happening here this morning and the rest of the week. This series that we're embarking upon this fall is about how to live the 167 hours a week that you're not in church and how to be a worshiper. Years ago when I began my career as an engineer, I remember telling my wife, I am going to do a holy experiment. And here's what I meant by that. I am going to go to work and I'm going to live out loud for Jesus Christ. I am not going to, you know, put him on, a, on, on the back shelf and act like I'm not a Christ follower, even though I'm working in a very secular place. And I'm going to follow his principles, even if it costs me promotions. I, I, but I'm going to live very much on purpose for Jesus Christ in the workplace. I call that my holy experiment. Best decision I ever made in my life. There were tense moments. There were moments when I had to stand fast, but there were also moments when I could really, really give glory to God and it was impactful to those around me. As important it is that we understand that worship is an internal matter of the heart, it's an external matter of a lifestyle, you still may be asking, well, how do I actually do this? See, if you just go out of here and just try really hard, this isn't going to happen. So here's what I, ha I hope it happens over the next several weeks. This is our series goal, that you see God as he truly is and become so preoccupied with him that you worship him in your heart and that spills over into your lifestyle. See, the key to becoming an intentional worshiper is to become preoccupied with God where he dominates your thinking and he dominates your, your, the way you do life. Now, preoccupy simply means dominate or engross the mind of someone to the exclusion of other thought. I think the secret to intentional worship lies in preoccupation with God. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been so caught up in someone or something that it just preoccupied you? Have you ever been caught up with someone or something so much so that it preoccupied you? I have another clip for you to watch. Some of you are going to know this. I'm not going to introduce it. Just watch this. Oh, what about Bob? One of my favorite movies of all time. And he, he demonstrates here what it means to be engrossed in something. Now, granted, he's neurotic, obsessive-compulsive, has a myriad of other psychological issues. Maybe those allow him to enjoy corn like that. <laughs> but there's a picture of what it means to be preoccupied with something to the point of exclusion of everything else. Think about this with me. When you're in love with somebody, I don't have to tell you, think about that person. You're thinking about your sweetheart, aren't you? If you're really into a sport or some kind of recreation, it's on your mind. You have to work at not thinking about it. So what we want to do for eight weeks is get preoccupied with God so that he's on our mind and we can't get him off our mind. He's on our hands and we can't get him off our hands. He's so much there that it's just natural to think about him and to try to please him in how we live. So for eight weeks, we're going to pursue becoming an intentional worshiper. Pastor Aaron already read to you 
part of the scripture that we're going to use, Psalm 145, is going to be our main text. We're going to take four messages from Psalm 145, which talks about attribute after attribute of God and how that ought to preoccupy us. And then we're going to turn our attention to the New Testament and, and Jesus Christ and get preoccupied with him for a few weeks. This is going to be fun. If you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you, first of all, to be in one. And if you're in a, a small group that's not doing intentional worship, still pick up this little workbook, this study guide that we have put together that goes along with this series. Pastor Dave and Pastor Serenity have them out back here at the, at the uh, whatever we call the back of the auditorium. You'll figure it out. Um, you can pick up one of these on your way out and go along uh, with the messages on your own looking at this. See, this is not something you just come to Sunday and listen to. This is something you're supposed to engage in. It's supposed to change how you do your life. Amen? And so I want to encourage you, use this material, struggle with what we're going to talk about for eight weeks, and become an intentional worshiper. So this morning we're going to begin by looking again at Psalm 145. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 7. And we're going to look at the greatness of God for a couple moments and let that begin to preoccupy our minds. Listen to this. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So we see from this little introduction to Psalm 145 that God is great. Amen? So here's what we're going to do because I want you to participate with me. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. And you're going to say God is great. Now if you don't say it loud enough, I'm just going to keep doing it. So I want you to shout it out because after all, we're celebrating what God has done here at Grace Point and I'm so grateful for that. I, I didn't know those stats. Aaron and I were talking behind here at the stage and I'm starting to cry. I had no idea of what God has done over here in the past decade in our church. But get this, it's not about us. It's about God who's great, amen? So I'm going to count to three, and we're going to say God is great together. Here we go. One, two, three. God is great. That was about a five on the scale of one to ten. One more time. One, two, three. God is great. I like it. You sound so good. God is great. God is so great. You ever experience something great in your life where it just takes your breath away? Sometimes you can look at a building and you can say, wow, look at the architecture. And it just catches your breath. No one has to tell you at that moment, be preoccupied with that great building because you are preoccupied with the great building. Amen? You're thinking about it. No one has to say, you should think about that great building. You ever have a really great teacher? I've had some great teachers in my life where they just capture me and I'm preoccupied with what they're saying and what they're talking about you ever been outside and you just see something majestic I love to hike I love to go to the mountains I love to go to Colorado and Utah I love to go out west I love to hike and the higher the better and sometimes I stop and I look at the view and I go oh my 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 
That is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. No one has to tell me, Steve, stop and get preoccupied with the great view that you're viewing right now. How about that moment for some of us when we realize I have found the person I am going to marry? That's a great moment, isn't it? And you're thinking about that person all the time. I remember Vicky and I met as juniors in high school. We're, junior, we're, we're, we're high school sweethearts. And I remember when we, we started getting serious and talking about getting married, I just thought about her all the time. I couldn't get her off of my mind. I didn't have to work at it. It was easy. It was natural. These situations preoccupy our minds. God's greatness needs to preoccupy our minds. This is our big thought this morning. The greatness of God must preoccupy the follower. The greatness of God must preoccupy the follower. David said this in Psalm 145. No one can fathom the greatness of God. You know what? In the Old Testament book of Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible, um, Job wonders, God, why am I going through all these trials? Why am I going through all these hardships? And, you know, oftentimes we look at the Old Testament book of Job and we get into all the theology of trials and hardships and all that kind of thing. But you know what? what, what what's really interesting about the book of Job is Job is saying throughout the book of, uh, 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 throughout that book, if I I can only speak to God, if I can only plead my case to God, if I can only make it known what I'm going through, then he would surely hear me and vindicate me. And this goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter. And then we get to Job 38 and God shows up and he doesn't say one thing about the trials Job is going through. Here's what he says. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this? that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its uh, dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what words footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Quite a picture, isn't it? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. It features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path of their dwelling? Now this discourse by the Lord goes on for four chapters. Do you notice he's not talking about Job's trials? What's he talking about here? His greatness. He revealed his greatness to Job. And Job replies to the Lord in, in Job chapter 42, these words. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job ran into the greatness of God 
And just like David in Psalm 145, he said, who can fathom your greatness, God? Who was I ever to question you? I had to be crazy. So it behooves the follower of God, if we want to really be intentional worshipers, to begin to give an ear to the greatness of God. Because I think that moves us into this realm of intentional worship. Psalm 145 gives us three practical ways to do that. Let me just blast through these quickly. Make it a practice to praise the greatness of the Lord in your life. Make it a practice to praise the greatness of the Lord. Praise the Lord for creation. When you see the beauty of a sunset or the beauty of an early morning sun, when you are outside just enjoying, wasn't yesterday spectacular? Were you outside at all? I just sat there and said, what a day. It's so gorgeous. Creation speaks of the majesty and the greatness of God. God is great. Praise the Lord for life. We live and move and have our being in God. Praise Him for the life that He gives you. Praise Him for the breath that you have. Praise Him for the ability to think. Praise Him for the ability to taste. Praise Him for these physical things that we take for granted because God is great. Praise the Lord for sending Jesus Christ to save our souls. When we see Jesus, we've seen the face of God. He's God incarnate. He's a sympathetic high priest who's made God known to us. Praise be to Jesus that he's revealed to us that God is not distant and aloof. God is great. Praise God that he didn't leave us as orphans when Jesus Christ went back to heaven to be with the Father. He sent the person of the Holy Spirit to live right inside our hearts. Praise God for the person of the Holy Spirit that he makes God known to us, that he counsels us, he comforts us, he makes the words of Jesus Christ known to us. For God is what? Great. So how do we begin to be intentional worshipers? We practice praise. We look at attributes of God and we praise Him for those attributes. Secondly, we tell of His mighty acts to those around you. Tell of His mighty acts to those around you. Tell of His mighty acts to the next generation. We have a story that God's writing in our lives. Don't minimize your story. It's incredibly important. When you give your life to Jesus, you become part of the redemptive story of God. You are not normal. You are peculiar. You are set apart because God is at work in your hearts. Give him credit. Tell your story. Make it a practice to tell of God's mighty saving grace in your life because God's great. So I go into ministry. I leave 3M. I go into ministry. Three years later, I'm called to lead pastor in, in New Hope uh, in northwest North Dakota. Vicki and I really struggled with our call up there. We just struggled. We're from the cities, and everywhere we move seemed to get progressively less populated. That's a nice way of saying they didn't have any people up there, nor any trees. And so we struggled with going up there, and after multiple signs and, and clear indications of the Lord, it was, it was just apparent we were supposed to go to Williston. So as we're going up there, we were having a heart-to-heart talks, and I remember both of us just struggling, what does this mean? And I, I remember saying to her very definitively, I really believe God has called us to minister in Williston, North Dakota for the next 10 years. I don't know why. I just really feel that strongly, like that, that's something he's putting into my heart. Now, she said to me in, in reply, well, I have to pretend I'm going there for the rest of my life. I just have to say, this is going to be my life, otherwise I won't be able to do this right. So we go up to, to Williston. God does marvelous, wonderful things up there. 10 years rolls around, and guess what? I'm not thinking about the 10-year thing anymore. 
I'm thinking about all the things that God's doing and all the works that are happening and how great it is to be part of what's taking place. And I get a call from the then vice chair of this church, Rick Egebrecht. And he calls me and he says, we want you to consider candidating back here at Grace Point as our lead pastor. And you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? It's been 10 years already. I wouldn't have even entertained that phone call if God hadn't put that in my heart. I wouldn't have shown back up here if God hadn't put that in my heart. And I remember thinking, God, this isn't fair. You ever been there? I went through the bust. I went through all the downtime here. I went through all the hard times. And now things are just starting to hop in Williston, North Dakota. We actually have people moving to town. We're growing. The church has money. I had never experienced that. And you're going to move me. This isn't fair. Look around the sanctuary. I quit guessing or second guessing God a long time ago. I would never have dreamed this would happen in the last 10 years. God is great. If I have one regret, with raising my children, it's this, that I did not tell them often enough the great things that God has done in my life. I just regret that, that I didn't pull them aside and frequently talk to them about the multitude of times that God has done things in my life where there's no other explanation that, than that he's God. My oldest daughter drew that out of me. She's a very inquisitive person, and she would Basically, bait me until I told her everything. But my one regret, don't let this be your regret. If you have children or grandchildren, tell all the mighty acts that God has done in your life. Commend them to the next generation. Take time out and say those little things and be reflective with your kids. Help the next generation to know what God has done in you. Amen? Tell of his mighty acts. In a few moments, the people getting baptized... That's what they're doing. That's the very thing they're doing. They're telling of what God has done in their life, and we have that rare opportunity to enjoy that moment with them. Isn't that cool or what? Third thing to do here when it comes to the greatness of God, meditate on his wonderful works. David says in Psalm 145 that he meditated on the wonderful works of God. Last winter, as part of our Intentional Life series, we did this Intentional Discipleship Seminar series on Wednesday evenings. And on the third Wednesday, I talked with the people present there. There's about 130 of you there about the importance of meditation. Psalm 145 again emphasizes the importance of meditating. Here's the problem that meditation's addressing. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Anybody relate to that? Do you have noise in your life? Do you feel hurried? Do you feel crowds? This is a crowd today, isn't it? It's a good crowd, though. And I, 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 I was going through this message and preparing it, and I was practicing saying it last Wednesday, and I got to this point, and I said, you know what I need to do? And I just laid down my notes. Didn't say anything to anybody. I went outside, and I walked for about two miles. And I said, God... I'm going to just meditate on your wonderful works. I'm going to thank you for the good things you've done in my life. 
you're looking at a guy that came from, you know, questionable background. I remember when I married Vicky and I was sitting in counseling with the pastor and he looked at us and he said to Vicky, I'm confident that you're going to do good. He looked at me and said, I'm not that confident in you. <laughs> you're a piece of work, he was basically saying. And I remember thinking, oh, ouch, you know what I mean? True, but ouch. And I, I just went through some things growing up and I just had all these issues and hang-ups and I still deal with some of those things. And I look back and I say, God, how marvelous and how great you are that you take such a broken person like me, so messed up in, in such a broken family in the Brooklyn Park where all the gangs are running around and all this trouble's happening. And you take a person like me and you put him in something like this. This is craziness. Do you know what you're doing? You've got to meditate on the wonderful works of God. You've got to get away from the noise, the hurry, and the crowds. So meditation is about slowing your pace to allow space for interaction with God. Just remember it this way. Pace that allows space. That's what meditation is all about. Slowing down and having a pace that gives God some space. It's getting away from noise and hurry and crowds and having a still spirit before the Lord. Now, let me give you this key perspective, though. Christian meditation is about filling your mind, not emptying your mind, with the truths of God. Think about what Jesus has done in your life. Even right now, I, daydream, that's all right. Go away from me for a minute. Think about what God has done in your life. Think about the good things he's done. Let that occupy your mind. Think about the great Savior, Jesus, that, that we call our Lord. Think about what he's done for us. He's taken us from slave to beloved child. He's given our life purpose, and now we have life to the full, and we have the status of, of, of inheritance with God, and we have a future and a hope and a purpose and eternal life. These things need to begin to uh, become things that preoccupy our minds. So let me summarize here really quickly. When we make it a practice to praise God's greatness, when we make it a, a, a routine to tell and commend to others his mighty acts, when we give some space, when we you know, slow down our pace and give God some space and we meditate on his wonderful works, guess what we're now doing? We're entering into intentional worship with our lifestyle. Amen? And we're just dipping our toes into the water. We're just starting here today to get... Get a little bit of an inkling of what it means to be an intentional worshiper of God. And my, my, my prayer for all of you is this, that God is so much on your mind that you can't get him off your mind. That he's so much on your heart that you can't get him out of your heart. That he's preoccupying your thought process so much that it directs what your hands do and, and how you live your lifestyle. When we get to that place, we're becoming intentional worshipers. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to baptize 15 people. If for some reason you're feeling God's moving on your heart today and you ought to be baptized, we want to open this up to you. We want to invite you to consider that. If God is saying to you right now, you know, you've been a follower of mine for a long time, you need to be baptized if that's you and you didn't go to this class and, and you're thinking, I wish I was up there getting baptized, every time we do a baptism, I have about three people come to me and say, oh, I should have done that today. You can. 
No excuses, amen? If that's you right now, God's stirring in your heart and you think, I should be baptized this morning, all you need to do is make your way to the back of the sanctuary. Uh, Serenity, raise your hand. And, and who else? Matt Douglas, raise your hand. Pastor Matt and Pastor Serenity are back there. And you can see those two. And they will give you shirts. We got shorts and we got towels. And you can be baptized today. We think this is that important. And so I just wanted to make that a little announcement. So if God is working on you and you want to be baptized, you go ahead and head back there and meet up with those two. <clears throat> I want to end the message this morning with a short prayer, and then we have a, a, a video, which is an adaptation from Psalm 150 that I pray will stir your hearts and prepare you for the songs to follow and prepare you to connect with God and worship. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that we can all become intentional worshipers. This isn't some secret. This isn't something just for the super spiritual. This is something you intend for all your people to experience. So would you grace us to begin to practice praise? That we begin, even this week, practicing praising you for your greatness. As that's the attribute we looked at in Psalm 145 this week. That we begin to just say, God, you're great. God, you're great. And, and just make it a practice to praise you for the mountains and the valleys, and for spectacular sunsets, and beautiful architecture, and for great teachers, and for good friends, and for good family. God, I just pray that we make it a practice to praise you and your greatness. And God, I pray that we would also be graced to commend your mighty acts to those around us, that you would grace us to share what you've done in our lives. We don't have to go into deep theological thought. We just have to Give you credit, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And, and God, I pray that you would give us a boldness and a willingness to commend to others your greatness and what you've done in our lives, for what you've done in our lives. So then I, I just want to pray that you would grace us to be people who meditate on your wonderful works, that we would, uh, you know, have the pace that gives us some space to just really ponder who you are, God, and what you're all about, that that would instill in us in this heart that just is on fire for you and, and, and understands your greatness, God. For God, you are the great God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we worship you this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.